One of the more fascinating aspects of the middle of the Book of Mormon is the battle that Alma has with the Nahors. First, Nahor, the founder of an order of people that believed in priestcraft, and then ultimately the battle in Ammonihah with the, with the entire order of Nahors and the horrific, painful result that comes uh, as they exact retribution on Alma and Amulek, one of the darker chapters in all of Christian history. Join us today as we look at Alma and Amulek and exactly who were the Nahors and how did they perhaps have some resemblance to the Sadducees that the Savior was battling in the first century. Join us today for a very fascinating, the first part of Alma and the Nahors. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Okay, I found out uh, the last couple of times that I've used my microphone, I just haven't liked the sound. I can hear it rubbing up against the microphone no matter how I turn it, no matter which recorder or microphone I use. And then I suddenly realized that my phone has the better recorder, and it's right here. But if I, if I start repeating your questions a lot, it's simply because I don't think out there this recorder is going to record that. So I want to make sure that people are listening. Uh, and we have about 400 a month that are listening. So, all right. Well, that said, um, I'm going to talk today about uh, really kind of an interesting um, experience here that happens in the Book of Mormon. One of the easily one of the great tragedies of, uh, of the Book of Mormon, and that's what happens at Ammonihah. Um, but in order to kind of take a look at this, I want to get a running head start on it. Because in some cases you would look at it, and ultimately when we get to Alma 14 and the families of believers are being burned uh, in a fire and you wonder, how do we get here? How does this happen? Um, and, and the more I studied, the more complex that question became. So I'm going to really back all the way up here um, in terms of our understanding. Um, because I also understand we're uh, currently reading in the uh, New Testament. We're looking at things in the New Testament. And I wanted, I wanted to have you take a look for just a second, just a reminder, something we've kind of touched on before, uh, and that is how the Jews viewed the law, the law of Moses. Now, in some ways, we have to be really careful because if, if you were traveling somewhere out of the country and they said, uh, Joan, what do Americans think of Joe Biden? 
You know, it would be like, well, it would depend on which Americans you're talking to. We were in Poland. We took a, a Warsaw and Krakow. We took some tours. Uh -huh. And what amazed me, we got on a bus in Warsaw. The bus was going to different hotels. There were some people there from Israel, and they started talking to us about our politics and Texas yeah. and about different things. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even know the name of your prime minister. <laughs> you know so much about our politics. And yeah. That happened to me in England one time, too. People asking questions. They, they do. She, she, she's just saying that uh, in, in traveling to Poland, people from Israel talking about our policies and about at president and all that kind of thing. And that happens to us a lot. People say, well, what do you think about this or that? And, and again, you have to go back and say it depends on which Americans you're talking to. You can't say Americans universally love this or hate that. Uh, now, sometimes we do that with Jews. We're saying the Jews at the time of Jesus believed this. Well, that's really an overreach. Because every group had their different views of things depending on who you were talking to. So I'm going to I'm simplify it a little bit because there's a lot of groups of Jews we could talk about. But just the, the two prominent ones in the New Testament, let's talk about the difference in the way that Pharisees and Sadducees viewed the law of Moses. For, for the Pharisees, who again, uh, these, these guys... Uh, by and large, we might, we might call them in our modern language, we might call them fundamentalist Jews. They were in the rural areas, they're in the country, they're not really highly organized. Uh, they all follow their local rabbi. Uh, but they had a, a basic uh, view of wanting desperately to make sure that they lived the law. Because the law was going to save them, so you better do it right. And they're going to really double down uh, exactly on things. So, so as we've talked about, uh, part of how, why it is that they were going to make sure that they were living the law well is that they would have the written law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. But then what exactly did Moses mean about this thing or that thing? We don't know. Well, let's get the rabbi's opinion. The rabbi would then say, oh, Rabbi Hillel, how, what did, what, how do we interpret Leviticus 14.2? And he would say, it is this. And so they would then write that down. So now you've got the law plus all the rabbinic opinions about the law. And then on top of that, you'd have the traditions that they call the Mishnah, which is uh, the way we're all generally living uh, our lives. And that would be recorded sometimes written, sometimes orally, but that's a, that's a tradition to go with the written writings of the rabbis to go around the law. And that's when they're talking about we're going to, we're so anxious to live the law that we live a, we build a hedge around the law so that we're never going to go close to breaking the law. Does that make sense? The Talmud was, uh, it was this. It was the written plus the traditions. Uh, the, uh, so Rabbi Hillel and stuff would be in Talmud. It's the, it's the, um, if you get like the Jewish encyclopedia, uh, you'll get, here's the scripture itself. And then underneath is all of the rabbinic things. The Talmud then fills in more. 
Okay. Yeah. So without trying to think of segue, yeah. the Pharisees didn't have a common mentality of their, of their interpretation and their rules. Yeah, ra- ra- the Pharisees did not have a common core. So, so the Pharisee group could be broken into 3,000 other groups. Absolutely could, yeah. So, for instance, the Pharisees in Capernaum or Cana would, might be different than the ones in Jericho or something like that. They're pretty close because they're all working off of the law. And they all, and there's some like Rabbi Hillel that was incredibly, uh, influential. Almost universally everybody liked Hillel. Um, Jesus quoted from Hillel a couple of times to the, to the Pharisees. So you got, uh, the written traditions, um, and so they were rigid followers. There's nothing in the in the Pentateuch and the in the five books of Moses that says make your house just like the temple. But they would say we're going to make our house just like the temple. We're going to do all the ritual washings and stuff like that before we eat. Okay? They just expand. We're just going to make. There's no harm, no foul here. We're just going to do it, and then we make sure that we've never broken it. Okay? The the law of Moses says keep the Sabbath day holy. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, we know that. That's how many steps, how many grains of uh, wheat can you harvest without working. Those are all part of the Mishnah, part, you know, built into the Talmud, even though it's not in the law of Moses. So when Jesus quoted Hillel, yeah. was he always quoting him to uh, agree with him, or was he just quoting him? to uh, recognize their sense of posture. Yeah, he, he, he's asking if, because if there's, there's a couple of times well, uh, that Jesus is quoting Rabbi Hillel, um, and, and the most famous one is when, when he says, what does it mean to follow God? And he says, uh, love the Lord with all thy heart, and and your neighbor like unto it. And it's almost exactly. And then he says on this, hang all the law and the prophets. That's Hillel. So there were times that, that that's right on. Okay. But there were times that I think he was specifically throwing it back at the Pharisees to say, I'm quoting your stuff. Uh, and in fact, it's interesting that this is, this is, I gotta step over here since we're just by the way, when when we have this moment at, at, at sometimes called the Jerusalem Conference, when Paul's been preaching and they're going to come back and they're going to pull Paul in front of the Jerusalem church in his first century and say, what are you out there teaching? One prominent voice of this group was the Pharisee Jesus followers. The Pharisees, a lot of Pharisees really liked a lot of what Jesus was saying. Okay, not all. But there, but he drew heavily because they had a voice in that. We know in Acts one, no Acts farther. Anyway, they had a voice at the Jerusalem conference. So somehow the Pharisees liked a lot of what Jesus was preaching. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, um, in a way, it's kind of like. Um, the prophets and apostles 
teaching us nowadays, you know, stay far away from the cliff. You know, and so it's a good thing. It's just turned bad when they start judging each other. Hang on, hang on to that for a sec. Okay. It's right where we're going. Okay. Uh, and so part of what happens, the downside, obviously, because it would make sense, like strict obedience should work. Strict obedience sounds like a great idea. Well, the problem is, is that because it was, it began to be so extreme, nothing wrong with, you know, strict obedience, but it's when it gets to extremes and it gets out of control. And with the Pharisees, obviously it did. So they're judging the poor because of their uncleanliness. Look at this man, Jesus. He eats with publicans and sinners. We wouldn't do that. You know, and it's just that we're so we're so busy work keeping the law that we're not trying to find a way to reach out. And Jesus is saying, guys, this is your flock. <laughs> you know, the, the 90 and 9, I'm going out to get these guys. This was your job. <laughs> I'm doing it. OK, um, so so they got so caught up in that in that letter of the law. That they that they lost the ability to to really help and came across as judgmental. Um, on the other side of this, of course, we have the, how did the Sadducees uh, use the law? And I'm going to use the law is is the best way I know of to to say it. The Sadducees primarily focused around Jerusalem. Uh, they were much fewer in number than the Pharisees. They were much wealthier than the Pharisees, and they had a central head in the Sanhedrin, although they would invite members of the Pharisees to sit on the board with them uh, to make sure we don't alienate those guys. But, it, but the law and the, but the Sadducees' main creed is, how Roman can we be without being Roman? <laughs> how, how Roman can we be and, not be and not stop being Jewish? And how can we use the law to make a lot of money? That's for the Sadducees, the houses of the Sadducees in uh, just outside the upper, the uh, old city of David, their houses up there, Ananias's house, Caiaphas' house, right up there, uh, Pilate would have been very comfortable in their houses because it was a very, they're very Roman looking houses. Okay. So for them, uh, I kind of call those uh, limousine Jews. <laughs> you know, it's like, we look like we're taking care of people, but hey, we're living high on the hog. Okay, yeah. And that's how it worked. Because were these the ones controlling? Yes. The Sadducees had the temple and so part of so so part of what would happen is that I don't think I put it in here. Yep, I did. We don't we're not really happy about the Mishnah and the Talmud and all the written opinions. If it's written, baby, that's it. That's all we want. Because it's amazing what a written law and a really good attorney <laughs> can justify what you do. That's really, really important. A written law and a good attorney can justify anything you want to do in the temple or where, and that's what they did. So you got to have an army of attorneys to parse every word. That's not exactly what meant and, and, you know, and, and I'm going to explain exactly what he was doing. And, yeah, that's one of the reasons he can stick it to the poor with a smile on his face. <laughs> it works well. Okay? So just the written part. They didn't believe in anything outside of the law. Uh, and so for them, the law was a way to get wealth and status. 
and and it worked. Okay, they, they, and that's why uh, the Pharisees, the, the country guys, hated the Sadducees because they were up there kind of messing with the law, messing with the temple. Um, but also they were watching these guys live very, very well. Um, and so if, if, uh, Jesus is going to be doing some things that might look like Sadducees, like he's, he's accepting offers to eat with Gentiles or something like that. Well, that's, that's not good because the Sadducees are eating with the Romans every night. The Sadducees, I've mentioned this and how they did, I've, I've heard it said over and over. I just don't know how they were doing it. The Sadducees wanted to participate in the gymnasiums just like the Romans did. But you don't want to look different where everybody's not wearing clothes in the gymnasium. They were figuring out ways to not look circumcised. How they did that, I have no idea. But they were because you want to be as Roman looking. Doesn't have to look that way too much. And we're, and we're just kind of edging that. And my attorney says it's okay. Okay. That's the Sadducees, okay? And, and it's a matter of getting wealth and status. And if you'll, if you read carefully as you're, as we're going through the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus' arguments to the Sadducees is a bit different than it is to the Pharisees. Pharisees, he's attacking the Torah and the extra laws. The Sadducees, he's talking more about the temple. And this temple will be destroyed in three days and built back up. And they're going, what? What, what, what is that? Okay, yeah. Hold on to that. Stop. You and Wendy ought to get together here. Okay. Now, just as a side note, <laughs> without trying to offend, okay, that is that there are times, if we're not careful, in our latter-day saintness, we can kind of drift to one extreme or another. I'm not saying we do. I'm just saying the danger's there. Okay? Well, exactly right. <laughs> we try and balance. We're, we're just going to... Okay. So, so, so let me tell you, when we start kind of edging to one side of the continuum or another, okay, on the one side... There are times that we might find ourselves just a little bit pharisaical. Okay? What, what might that look like? And who can I offend? Okay. We have, we have our commandments. We, we uh, love obedience. We recognize the importance of obedience. But then we add our extra hedge around our law. The deacons need to pass the sacrament. That is awesome. Okay? It would, it, what we want to make sure, white shirts are a matter of, uh, respect. Okay? White shirts and full suits would be better. White shirts and suits and an arm firmly behind your back would be even better. And strict military discipline would be even better. You know, in other words, we just keep, you know, and if this if this deacon is going to come in and he's coming from an inactive family and the kid has shown up and he's got a got a shirt and a tie and he's wearing jeans, do you let him pass the sacrament all day? Okay, 
Not if you're kind of edging this way, you know. Oh, yeah, what about a haircut? Yeah, I forgot about that one. You know what? It would be better if he was white shirt, anti, and missionary haircuts. And we're not going to necessarily want to have those whose hair might be longer. Or, you know, in other words, look at the Mormon Mishnah that starts to to be built around. Um, Joan, is it is it heresy in the Plano First Ward to have Christmas show up without a Relief Society progressive dinner? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I they changed it, but for years that was if any if anybody suggested that we don't do the Relief Society progressive dinner from house to house, that's anathema. That is heresy, a pox on you and your family. <laughs> so you were the reason that the great the great Plano First War progressive. Okay. Went went room to room. Okay, so it's keeping the spirit of the thing. <laughs> we can't eat in one place. Because part of the rules are you don't have two uh, parts of the meal in the same setting. It's got to go to – okay. All righty then. And not only do we have tightly imposed rules, but they are harshly imposed. Is it a good? Is it a good thing to – Probably not watch a lot of Sunday or TV on Sunday. Yeah, it's probably a good thing. Football would be. <laughs> you got it. And what happens if you catch a kid watching TV on Sunday? Fire and brimstone. Okay. Now, yeah. Yeah, parties aren't okay unless they're with other members. See, and I, 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 I will confess, one of those things that I struggle with, and I, I will be, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out myself here a little bit. Isn't it, come on, isn't it a little bit tempting when somebody shows a picture of themselves at a restaurant on Facebook on Sunday afternoon? <laughs> And and I find myself almost involuntarily going, was this posted 10 hours ago or was this posted <laughs> two hours ago? <laughs> I go, stop it. <laughs> All right. We, it, it just depends on how, what guidelines we're trying to, to put on these things. Uh, now, the temptation then on this is to then harshly judge those that aren't as uh, obedient as we are. Um, did you see her? She was actually wearing, to church, she wore a blouse with no sleeves on it. Shocking, that is. Okay? Too bad she's not ready to obey as much. Obviously, she can't wear her garments on that. Yes. Yeah.
had a record. They were welcome to the temple. Yeah. And that's one of the things that they keep emphasizing to us as temple workers to welcome everybody right. no matter what they look like. Yeah. And that now is a whole Yeah, the the whole the, you, Yeah. And, and there may be some part of us that says, this is the temple. It's sacred. We shouldn't be doing it. I get it. We we owe a level of respect here. But sometimes when we're trying to get people, the idea of just getting them to the temple, right. we're just we're just kind of glad you're here. And hopefully over time you kind of upgrade how you do things. But right. and, and, and the older we get, the more opinionated in our faithfulness. <laughs> The older we get, the more opinionated. It's harder to show what we think about something. And not to show. Yes, that's true. Get off my lawn. Uh, I know. I know. And to be able to accept people where they are. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, so when when a temple president reminded us that we all needed to be clean shaven. Yeah. Missionary haircuts, and I told him that I was going to uh, embrace the Nazarene perspective, <laughs> as the Savior did. He didn't. He didn't go so, so, <laughs> so, 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 Temple President is saying we want good haircuts and clean shaven. He wasn't buying Nazarene. No. Okay. Well, it was a good try. <laughs> right. If you're a patron. So the so the military guys were showing up in their fatigues at the temple. Oh, yeah, gonna yeah, they don't want to get all the way there and find out. Yeah. 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 Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Right, right. Of course, this is L.A. we're talking about, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, go, yeah, go to the temple. Right. Yeah, so you show up at the temple. Right. <laughs> what will they let me in? There you go. <laughs> They still like me, even though I'm not dressed in, in, in the temple dress I usually wear. Yeah. Things have changed a lot. Shortly after we were married, we went to the temple. I get to wear uh, nylons. Yeah, you weren't wearing nylons, right? As soon as I get in there, I'm going to go in and I'm going to change into white. White socks. Right. Shaved the second top here, and it's just not the hair that I want. Right. 
She she said, don't come back to the temple unless you're wearing nylons. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, went to the temple every day in his work clothes. Yeah, yeah. When I worked at the mountainside, a poor woman showed up and anything but a dress. You gave her a wraparound skirt. Yes. Yeah, she said if they show up in other than a dress, you'd give her a wraparound. Dallas Temple used to do that. I had a sister in my ward that that happened to. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Between uh, the way people are treated. Right. It, we, we need to, and I think we all do, we need to recognize that just because it's the temple doesn't mean that the Lord's representatives there are going to always properly represent yes. the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Which is no, like, I think that's like a... what happened in Herod's temple. I think that's a, uh, yeah, exactly. We, we would hope that all temple workers would be on the Savior's level and we're all, <laughs> I had, I, I'll tell you this, I, I, we're still laughing about it. We have a, in our YSA ward, we have a brand new elders quorum president and he, and he's only really been active for about a year. He's a good guy and he's just trying with all his heart to be a good elders quorum president. And we had him do his first setting apart yesterday. And he's setting apart a new secretary and and we're standing next to him. We're walking him through. OK, now, you know, priesthood and you set apart secretary, elders quorum. Yeah, okay. He's doing all that. And then it's like Bishop says, OK, now give him a blessing. And there's this pause. And then he starts in and he goes, the Lord really loves you. And and you know what? We're all human and we're all trying. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to, <laughs> I just, uh, in some ways, it was the most heartfelt setting apart I, I've ever, I loved, I loved that. Um, okay, so back here. So the Latter-day dangers at the extreme. One of the times that I think that if we have wards where, uh, families where the gospel is admitted, administered so harshly and so rigidly, a lot of times this is when this is one group that leaves the church angry. Oftentimes the kids of those set settings will, uh, you know, my dad said to me over and over, you will do you will go to church in my house, dang it, while you live under my roof. You know, and, and the flip side of that says, and when I'm not in your house, I ain't, <laughs> you know, and they leave angry. Uh, now, on the other side of this. I'm having a hard time getting to Ammonihah. This may be a two-parter. Um, is that at times we may go a little Pharisaical, Sadduceical, the Pharisaical, Sadduceical saints. Sadduceic. I'm making this one up. Okay. Uh, and times when we drift a bit in, in this direction. What would, the, what would that look, look like? Well, to use our best uh, Pirates of the Caribbean language, well, the the laws are kind of more like guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're there, but they're just kind of guidelines.
much. Uh, and so we're going to be kind of loose with all of this kind of stuff. And on, on the Sadduceic level, uh, the church really, sometimes the church is a great social opportunity to enhance your wealth and status. Uh, I think that this happens a lot in areas of high concentration of saints where if you're going to run for office or you're going to do something or you're going to have a prominent business, it, 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 you do well to stay active and to be prominently seen as out there because then everybody goes, yeah, go ahead and invest in this thing because I'm in the elders quorum presidency, <laughs> you know, or do this because our bishop has already invested in this thing. Oh, okay. You know, I used to know a state president that was selling Amway out of the back of his car. <laughs> and so it's just like, okay, uh, if we're going to use the church for uh, wealth and status, um, unfortunately, in this case, though the poor can end up being judged when we're moving in that direction as wealth ends up being a sign of uh, righteousness. And the poor can pull themselves up there by their bootstraps like I did. They don't need my help. They should just get on with it because the wealthy people have worked hard for it and the wealthy people are good. And like the wealthier you are, the more the Lord loves you. And, and we kind of get stuck in this. And, this. and this is the one where this group has kids that leave the church, uh, but they just kind of lose interest. There's nothing here. There's no, It just seems kind of phony. You know, my... I see what my parents do on Sunday and then I see what they do the rest of the week and it just doesn't match. And it just church is full of hypocrites. It's just not for me. It's just kind of dumb. Okay. And they, they kind of see through this. So I think there's latter day dangers at the, and, the, and, and I, and make sure that we see this as the extremes because I think we all are struggling to do like my elder scorn president says, we're just all human. <laughs> we're doing the best we can. And sometimes we might hedge a little one way or the other. So, all right, so that said. Yeah. I think also the Sadducee Masonry, they don't spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about a hope for the future. There's no resurrection. The Sadducees didn't see a, a resurrection, therefore they were Sadducee. And, and you're right, this one is not so much about the future as much as what can I build now. Yeah, I, I, you're exactly right. Okay, so now, t t take this out. Yeah, Joe. I think it happens that some people, some members of the church, want to be so much a part of the world. That whatever the latest philosophy is, yeah. whatever social issue, they try their best to justify that with the teachings of the church. And, uh, and if the church doesn't go along with this, yeah. they, they really struggle. And you can't serve two masters. And it doesn't mean that the church is... There are some things that are just eternal. Some, yeah. some commandments, some laws that are eternal. Yeah. And, um, you know, and there's different things, how people dress, what kind of music they listen to, how they spend right. their time. And they develop different philosophies. How much, how much time can I spend in the world and still be a Latter-day Saint? And then it, they end up, unfortunately, usually making the choice for the world. Yeah, a case like that, then your roots aren't very deep over here. And 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 by the way, some of these I think is what we get when we're looking in in uh, uh, First Nephi eight, and you get the tree of life vision, 
and you get those that were clinging somehow to the rod of iron as opposed to following. They were clinging. It says they clung. Then they get, they actually eat the fruit, and then what? Then they get ashamed. They hear the yelling coming from the building, and then they wander off in forbidden paths. And so you get a sense they were clinging to something. They Maybe they were doing it out of fear, but it's easily to be inf- infused with the world and then try and follow the world. Cindy? Yeah, Lot's family had their tents, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to, how, 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 how Sodom can I be and still be a believer kind of thing? Yeah. Today's lesson and what you're teaching is, makes me think of Utah Mormons and non Utah <laughs> Well, we can go there. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes that's some of those categories. And that's why I say high concentration of saints. You know, we have, guys, we have parts of the Metroplex that are, has highly concentrated with Latter-day Saints in some parts of Utah. Certainly Salt Lake. Okay. So it's, so I say, we start taking a look at where we are with all of this. I think it's, it's a little bit scary. Okay. All right. Now, this is all a setup. Remember, we're studying the Book of Mormon. (laughs) And so here's one of the things that I found. Uh, as I was looking at this, because the question rises then, these were the, the fascinating thing about the Book of Mormon is that it's the only place that we have a church of Jesus Christ, Jewish followers of the law of Moses in this about 150 years especially uh, with, Nephi, I understand Nephi and Lehi, but we had a great apostasy. So we, so we have more records about what they were doing in the 150 years before Christ comes, where they're trying to balance the law and they're trying to balance what they know about Jesus coming and the atonement and baptism and all that. And they're still believing in the law of Moses, which is just fascinating. And for people attacking the church, this is crazy nuts. You know, that these people would know who he was, where he's going to be born, what he's doing. We're trying to live by his precepts, and we're still Jewish, and we're still living the law of Moses. So if in this setting, this little prescriptive time, um, I'm not finding, maybe you guys might find it, I'm not finding a lot of Pharisee Nephites. Uh, in fact, However, the Nephite prophets would try and teach the law of Moses and the law of Mosiah. I don't think that, uh, and the laws of Mosiah and the laws of King Benjamin. However, they taught it. Did it stick with these guys? Oh, heck no. How long? If we're going to come in, whether it's Alma and Zarahemla, or we're going to try and get them to repent, or a big war has come along, and now there's crying, and, and now we're all joining the church, and life is good. In the Nephite cycle of things, how long does that last? How long does the righteousness last? Yeah, and then, then they start having enough. They become wealthy, and then they become prideful, and they're out again. And sometimes that cycle is as short as like five years. So bully for them, I mean, they get everybody 
back on the right track, but whatever was going on, it didn't stick, either in the way they were preaching, in the way it was being heard, or just in the way the people were. We don't know. We just know it's these these swings towards righteousness among the Nephites is pretty short-lived. Okay, now I'm not seeing a lot of Pharisaic hedge around the law Nephites, but I'll tell you what we get really good examples of in the Book of Mormon. That's the Sadducee Nephites. We get we get a snootful of these guys. We get to see that in spades, you know. And maybe maybe part of the warning is for the present day. I don't know. If you look at everybody in the Book of Mormon as a as an example or a warning, then. It's interesting to me that we have some really prominent Sadducee Nephites. Um, for instance, King Noah. How do we use the law to make lots of money? And what we get with, by the way, the Sadducee Mormons, and we're going to certain, or Mormons, Sadducee Nephites, we're going to see uh, what we've called uh, the Deuteronomists. They are clinging tight to the the law as a, that, that will save us and, and they're rejecting a redeemer. Uh, and so they're very much Deuteronomous. It's about the law. But remember, if you're going to have the law, what else do you need? The attorneys to back it up. <laughs> the attorneys to parse the law while you're on your way to making lots of money. Cause really, you know, you're in gray area. And, and the attorneys are going to like the gray area because it turns us, we can turn that to our advantage if you're really good at what you do. I'm a Nephite attorney. I never lose <laughs> kind of thing, right? So King Noah is a good example. And guess who else is a good example? Aha! The Nahors. We finally arrived. <laughs> the Nahors in Ammonihah. I think, in my own opinion, I think are a really good example of Sadducee Nephites. Uh, Deuteronomists who are going to make this thing work for them. Okay? Oh. Hold on. That's the other tradition. That's that Christ tradition. What, watch what they do. Let's, let's look over to trying to break into the scriptures here. Because there's a couple of cases that tell us that they're following the laws exactly. But then if they get challenged on it, like the law of two witnesses, we're going to make one witness doesn't work. Two witnesses. OK, we have to defend. Zeezrom doesn't show up until Alma and Amulek have shown up with two witnesses. Oh, shoot. OK, now bring in the attorneys and fight them. Um, now, if we go to Alma one. When we wonder out, first of all, who are the Nahors? Uh, and, and what we're going to find here is Cindy, can you see that all right back there? Can you put your glasses on and see if, <laughs> if that helps? <laughs> okay. Okay, so here's Alma, remember, and, and remember the background is interesting on here. He's going to spend years trying to attack the church, 
Everything his dad set up, he's attacking till the angel shows up and he has his uh, road to Damascus experience. And now he's he's turned it around. And and one of the first challenges in his very first year as chief judge, and this is 90 B.C., this is 10 years before uh, the tragedy at Ammonihah. So this is this is Nahor, the the founder of it. Okay, so here comes Nahor, and look at what he does. Nahor had gone around, verse three, among the people, preaching to them what he termed to be the word of God, bearing down against the church. Which part of the church? Kind of the Jesus teachings, right? Declaring that. Uh, every priest and teacher ought to be popular. They shouldn't have to labor with their hands. Uh, two, uh, that all mankind, no matter what, can be saved, which means we don't need who? Jesus, because it's just a universal salvation no matter what. No matter what you do. Okay? They need to not fear or tremble. God, Lord, created all men, redeemed all men. Uh, if you're a if you're a Jew in ancient Israel and you're living somewhere close to the law of Moses, are you going to be saved? However, we view saved? Sure. When does that atonement take place? At the temple, Yom Kippur. And, and, and we're going to talk, we'll see if we get to it today, the, the sacrifice of the two goats. One is cast out and one is burned in the fire. Uh, that's a that's a hint about what happens with the what we call the assazel goat uh, to so that everybody is saved. OK. And there's so much. Uh, he establishes a separate church and it looks like it's going to be built on law of Moses philosophy, but it's not going to be built on anything related to what King Benjamin and Alma and all those guys were teaching. It's not built on that. It's a separate church. And what they're going to describe is that that uh, that that church, Alma's church, has its own traditions. We don't believe in those traditions. We believe in our traditions. And we'll talk about in a second what that means. Yeah. So in which way did they embrace any of the law of Moses? They, he says they he preached that which he believed, which he termed to be the word of God, but... My perception was that he received his word of God directly from an angel and that it wasn't who, who, who Nahor. Yeah, I think there's a combination of that. That's why I say, hang, hang on, because I think we're going to keep running into where you can see that they're following law of Moses principles. Now, I think they had really perverted it. But again, if you've got good attorneys, you can take it and then. You don't want too much written down, so you can twist it how you use it when it works. Don't don't use it when it doesn't work. It's very helpful. They're more like guidelines again, right? Okay. So establish a church after the manner of his preaching. Then, of course, he's going to contend with Gideon. And we know that then he slays Gideon because one of the precepts of these guys is that they were always fighting against the church, pushing back against the church. Okay. Okay. And now, isn't it interesting? So now, verse 10, and Nahor is taken 
uh, by the people of the church and brought to Alma to be judged according to the crimes he has committed. And it come to pass that he stands before Alma. He pleads with much boldness. Okay. And look at what, look at what Alma's response is. Wow, you murdered and we should be stomping out murders right away. The murder does not seem to be the focus of what Alma is, uh, is judging him on primarily. What is it that he's, pri- what is he judging him on in verse 12? Priestcraft. Behold, this is the first time that priestcraft has been introduced among this people. Um, he says, I, I hate that you killed somebody, but worse, you brought in priestcraft. Whoa, what's priestcraft? Well, if we go, I just put it in here so we don't have to spend too far looking for it. First Nephi 26, he commanded that there should be no priestcraft, for behold, priestcrafts are. That men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world that they may gain and get praise of the world, for they seek not the welfare of Zion. You can see why it is that sometimes it, these guys have been termed antichrists. Because they're saying, I'm gonna set, I'm gonna set myself up for the light of the Christ, or set the light of the world instead of Jesus. That they may get gain and praise of the world. Rather than Jesus and the and the uh, the will of his father, and they seek not the welfare of Zion. Let the poor suffer, because that's I mean it's just anti-Jesus all the way through. Yeah. But even though he points out the the problems in priestcraft, he's the chief judge, and he clearly points out the reason we're going to put you to death isn't the Priestcraft is the murder. Yeah, hold on, hold on to that because because it, it's because you're right, it is. But notice what it is that is most important just before he, he kills him or before he's sec, or, uh, executed. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about this. It's an argument regarding how we determine leadership in the church. How we determine leadership in the church? If you, if you think, how did we get our bishop? Right. How do we get our bishop? Yeah. <laughs> How did we get our bishop? Yeah. And, and this guy is saying your leaders should be elected popular. The popular vote. And should answer to the people rather than answer yeah. to Most of the time when we get our new bishops, about half the ward is going. <laughs> and so is the bishop. Wow. The, the, the Lord, <laughs> Lord must have called that one. I mean, wasn't it Jay Golden Kimball that says that? Yeah, the Lord must have called him. Nobody else would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there are there are both kinds. The the Okay, so this is the first time that priestcraft has been introduced. And thou art not only guilty of priestcraft, but thou was endeavored to enforce it by the sword. And and then this phrase. And were priestcraft to be enforced among this people, it would prove their entire destruction. How does Alma know this? Come on, how does Alma know how bad priestcraft is? 
This is Alma the Younger. How did he know? His dad was. Keep going. He watched his father in the struggle. In Noah's court. And he saw the destruction of the well, city of Noah. But what, guys, what did Alma do for years before the road to Damascus? He was doing, he was doing that. He was Alma done. knows about preachcraft because he done it. I've done it. I recognize it. He might even have known Nahor. It's possible Nahor might have, if Nahor was a little younger than Alma, he might have even known Alma when Alma was doing his priestcraft thing. Alma knows this. This I've, I've been there. I know how this works. Alma and Mosiah's sons never attempted to set up a church. Oh, they did. It tear it down, but they would have to replace it with something. What would they replace it with? And them. And them. I mean, you're right. They were attacking the church and everything. But if you're going to attack the church and they're going around and people are lifting them up because you're successfully attacking the church, there's a pretty, there may not have been a formal church, but there's the church of the, the cult of Alma and the, and the cult of Ammon and the boys. Yeah, it's not in there. It's just reasonable. You're right. They had followers. It's so many so that, remember, Alma's got to go around after the road to Damascus thing and and undo what I said. And they're just like, what? Okay. But he understands what it means to attack the church. He, he'd done this thing. It's just that Nahor has maybe taken it to a different level. But his so his biggest fear is... Uh, behold, thou art not only guilty of priestcraft, and thou hast endeavored to enforce it by the sword, but this priestcraft to be enforced, if we let this go, then it's going to prove to their entire destruction. Now, yes, you shed the blood of a righteous man. Uh, his blood, were, and were we to spare thee, his blood would come upon us for vengeance. Therefore, thou art condemned to die according to the law that was given to us by Moses. Mosiah. So th- we're living according to the law of Mosiah, but who was putting their, his principles back to the law of Moses. But there are things that are being updated. For instance, law of Moses says if you don't pay your debts, you've got to be thrown in prison. What did King Benjamin say? I haven't thrown you in prison. In other words, he's updating, he's, he's updating the law of Moses, right? Okay, so therefore his people must abide by the law, verse 14 and 15, look at what happens here. And it came to pass that they took him and his name was Nahor and they carried him to the top of the hill Manti and there he was caused or rather did acknowledge between the heavens and earth that he had killed a righteous man and he should be slaughtered. What is it that when he gets up here that they want him to acknowledge publicly before he dies. That murder's bad? He might have done that. It's certainly that's the reason they finally had to kill him. But more importantly, what did Nephi or what did Alma want him to express? 
that acknowledged between the heavens and the earth that what he had taught to the people was contrary to the word of God. And therefore, he suffers what kind of death? Ignominious. They burned him at the stake. Probably not. Scourging with faggots. Ignominious. Now that could, ignominious could be a lot of things, right? It could have been, it just, ignominious kind of could mean. Yeah. That's right. It is. And ignominious is also a, um, unsavory, uh, a, um, Embarrassing, uh, ennoble. But it's also possible that it could have been burning. Okay? So I'm throwing that out there because we're on our way to Ammonihah. And we're going to watch something horrific happen. We're not going to get there today. (laughs) Gratefully. Okay? Now, he's going to suffer this death. Uh, Now, did that finally work? We killed this guy. We put him to death. Nobody wants to be a Nahor ever again. <laughs> it worked. Stamp this thing out. No, look what happens. Nevertheless, this did not put an end to the spreading of priestcraft throughout the land. There were many who loved the vain things of the world, and they went forth preaching false doctrines. And they did, and this they did for the sake of riches and honor. Now, they're going to do a very law of Moses kind of thing. I think. Nevertheless, they durst not lie, for if it were known, fear of death, liars were punished. So what do we do? And again, this never happens in modern society ever. <laughs> Look at what they do. Therefore, they pretended to preach according to their belief. And now the law could have no power on any man for his belief. I ain't lying. It's just my belief. Now, by the way, these days we do, we do attack people. We do punish people for their beliefs. <laughs> we're, we're really good at that. On social media, we are really good at punishing people for their beliefs. We call it hate speech. Because you said something, you believe something, now you're going to kind of be canceled. We're going to punish you. We're going to, okay. Back then, you can't, you don't have any power for his belief. Uh, they durst not steal for fear of the law. Uh, but, interestingly enough, they're going to persecute everybody. Uh, now, here's what's going to happen with them. In the second year, I'm going to hop down here. Look at 24. For the hearts of many were hardened, their names were blotted out, and they were remembered no more among the people of God. And also many withdrew themselves from among them. So my belief is, where'd they go? Well, we're told, we're told a little later on that the Nephites had a tradition of naming their city after the founder of the city. And so if a city has a name, it was probably the first person that got him there. So the founder of Ammonihah was who? 
Ammoniah, right? Okay. Is it possible that one of those people that withdrew, this is 10 years before tragedy at Ammonihah, that now we have a group of Nahors and their, their names are blotted out, so they're former members, and now they're following the priestcraft, and now they're going to withdraw themselves among men, uh, and then they, then they leave and they go somewhere else. Probably, probably north and probably establish, good chance establishes the, city of Ammonihah, because it's full of Nahors. It says they were, the judges and chief priests were all followers of Nahor. Got to go somewhere. So this was at least one place potentially where they went. All right. How are we doing so far? Can we talk more about priestcraft? So, yeah, yeah, but again, what was the danger with priestcraft? But, but all day long, there are people teaching false doctrines, and what was particularly bad about this one? Part of it is, is, and we're going to make sure that we're going to enforce it, right? Yeah, yeah. So the people that wrote this record yeah. were Mormon. generally righteous people, prophets, and, and yeah. things like that. And when they talk about these other people, I don't have a lot of recollection of them saying, and they were followers of me. They generally say, and they were of the profession of Nahor. Yeah. So actually, the the and the order of Nahor, which is going to be important for next time. So, so that I guess that my question is, did these people actually look to Nahor as their guide, or did they look to themselves as their guide? No, that, that that's really a good question, because one thing we know. There are some pretty, you gotta admit, there's some appealing doctrines here. Okay? If you're gonna go back to what uh, Nahor was teaching right at the beginning, one of the, one of the things that's interesting, we'd say, well, if this guy's setting himself up as a light, how come people are supporting him with money? How come they're, how come they're buying into this guy? Well, what's that? Because it suits them. It suits them pretty well, doesn't it? Okay? Uh, now we're get, by the way, we're going to see another brand of this, especially when we get into the Nephite wars in the middle of Alma. And it's not, and it's a different kind of priestcraft, but it's still priestcraft. There's the Nahor version, but there's another one coming and these are the king men. I, I'm, and, and we're going to, we'll go through where, I, where we think those king men guys came from. But still, it's like I should be better than you. I should be up on a pedestal because I'm cooler, because I'm more charismatic. Uh, but in the case of Nahor, which I think was probably a pretty charismatic guy, probably. But he's also telling that all 
mankind should be saved for the last day that they might not fear and tremble. Ooh, that's that's really appealing. Okay. Um, Lord had created all men and redeemed all men. In the end, all men should be saved. That kind of opens the doors. Now the commandments are guidelines. <laughs> Don't have to keep them very much. That's very cool. Um, but it's interesting that rather than rather than be fine with it and just say, you guys believe you have a redeemer. We don't think we need a redeemer. Everybody's saved. Now there's something in there that impels them to say, and I'm going to enforce it by the sword. So you look at why would priestcraft bring down a, a civilization? Part of it would be the civil wars that come out of that, the fighting that goes there. But part of it is just the wickedness. Because uh, who, what happens ultimately in the end to Ammonihah? It's completely destroyed. Yeah, in a day. By, by frustrated Lamanites who can't get anywhere with the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. So let's go to, we're really hopped up and bloodthirsty and off we go and there's that city and we're going to wipe this thing out just the same way that Alma said it would. Okay. You go, girl. Um, it seems to me that there, I don't read them, but I hear about from some of my friends in the church about some of these blogs that are out there. Yeah, a lot of blogs. And and, and a lot of um, stuff that tends to scare. If this were true, it would be very scary what's happening to the church, what's happening to our world. Did you know that I have friends? Mm. Mm. This, we're all gonna, this is supposed to have a happy ending, and we're you know we're you know we're going through this now, but we're supposed to look forward to something wonderful. Yeah. And this destroys the spirit and makes you. You understand what I'm trying to say? Oh yeah, yeah. That people get wrapped up in all of these things, and now suddenly the world is a scary place with all kinds of conspiracy stuff across the board and 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 you start seeing people just frozen in fear and they're worried you know it's, it's like like somebody says yes armageddon's coming but so's adam on diana you know yeah yeah when hope gets destroyed yeah it kind of falls apart and after that Yeah, that's it's probably not helpful to be trying to. If you pump your head full of that kind of worry all day long, it's because there's enough worry out there. We got enough going on, okay? Um, but anyway, so so let's let's kind of wrap up with this, um, and, and we'll, we'll continue on next week. But I just think it's interesting that as we watch, that there is a sense as we look at the development of the Nahors, and then you watch it. When you pull them out of regular Nephite society, you put them over here. Now, was everybody in the city of Ammonihah and Nahors? Probably not. But there was enough other people. But we know the chief judges were. We're told the chief judges are. And the attorneys are. Uh, Zeezrom and all those guys are. We know that. And what? So what we're going to watch 
what we're going to talk about next week is watch it get plugged into action. What does it mean on the ground when somebody like Alma and Amulek show up and start preaching against it? Uh, and I think Alma's going to say some things that I wish he could, that I think Alma wishes he could take back. Because th- there are some horrific things that come from that. So, all right. That plenty? Good stuff. Good stuff. Good, good, uh, discussion. Um, it is interesting. I, I'll, I'll finish with this. I, I do love the idea that as President Benson says, the Book of Mormon was written for our day. And as we're looking at it, we can see these things playing out around us. Uh, and they began to be a, uh, a place where we look at what happened there, but then we've got to be able to transfer that example to now and look at, could this happen? Where might this happen? Or at what level does that happen here? And, uh, again, I, uh, I always, I say this a lot, but I'm just at the end of something like this, I just always feel impelled to say, and imagine Joseph Smith made this up. <laughs> imagine he and Oliver sitting in that little log cabin in Harmony along the banks of the Susquehanna going, let me throw this in. Let me think about this would be a good idea. Yes. <laughs> now we need a, and we're going to do a plot twist that's going to resolve itself months later when we're working. Wow. You know, sorry. He, he wasn't all that. Educated to pull this one off. This is this this is good stuff. So I bury my testimony that this is uh, this is true, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss. Or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming. And we'll see you for another Monday morning class.